Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasetta from Somerset's Clinical Commissioning Group, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Peter Bagshaw, GP at Mindhead and uh, CCG Lead for Mental Health. And today we're talking about trusted health information, and we're really pleased to welcome Veronica Price and Alexandra Cunningham-Scott. Veronica and Alex, welcome, and please do introduce yourselves and tell us where you come from and where you work. Hello, shall I go first? Yes, please. Um, <laughs> hi, uh, my name's Alex. I work for Somerset Libraries and I'm their health and wellbeing lead. So um, that encompasses many different things, um, such as our health book collection, but also including putting on events and activities that cater for the um, wellbeing of the wider community um, across all of our 32 libraries. Thanks very much. And Veronica? Hello, I work at Musgrove Park Hospital in the Library and Knowledge Services, um, and I work there as the outreach librarian. So I'm responsible for um, providing training um, in a range of activities around health literacy and accessing health information, uh, predominantly for uh, staff at the hospital um, but part of the outreach role of course is to uh, reach out to the general public um, in Somerset and we do that best really through partnership with the public library so um, librarians area of expertise is to look for evidence-based information and advise people on how they can use that to make sure the information that they're using is reliable and trustworthy. And that's a really hot topic at the moment, isn't it? We know that there's been some absolutely terrible information. Uh, I had a, a free newspaper given to me uh, claiming that coronavirus was a hoax, which having nearly died from it myself about 18 months ago, I can uh, say it definitely wasn't a hoax. Um, so how do you find that information? How do you get trusted information? What sources do you trust? Well, there are various things that you can do, and you're absolutely right with the exponential rise of information, particularly on the internet. It is so difficult to know what's trustworthy and what is misinformation, people just putting out information that is mistaken, uh, and people putting out disinformation and deliberately trying to mislead. So um, there are several things that can be done. One is to look for, basically to go first of all to the NHS website. Uh, the NHS have a very um, comprehensive, very easily accessible website available for the public, www.nhs.uk. And from there you will go to a landing page with an A to Z of health conditions, and as you scroll down, you can find advice about um, lifestyles, healthy eating, healthy behaviour, basically pretty much any um, advice that you want about health. So that's probably your number one point of call. There's another very good website called patient.info, which again is providing um, evidence-based information uh, which has all been um, checked over by clinicians to make sure that it is trustworthy and reliable. Um, and then there are 
two organizations, one in the UK and one in the US, who provide a quality mark for health information. So in the same way that you have uh, kite marks on products that you buy that show that uh, they have been tested rigorously, there are two quality marks for health information. And uh, the UK-based one is known as PIF, the Patient Information Forum. Um, and in America, uh, the organization is called the ONCODE, Health on the Internet Code. And both of those organizations are entirely independently run and check over health information sources, whether they are websites, whether they are um, charitable organizations, uh, whether it's printed material, and rigorously test them, making sure that they pass a standard number of criteria and that they are passed both by um, clinicians, but also by members of the public. So they are user tested to make sure that the evidence is clear and easily accessible. That's really interesting. So Health Information Week coming up. Um, and uh, what's the aim of Health Information Week? Is it something happening only in Somerset or is it uh, got a wider appeal? Is it looking just at illness information? Is it looking at Ill, well information on well-being? Tell us a bit more about it, please. Um, Alexandra, would you like to answer this one? Sure. Um, yeah, so Health Information Week is a national initiative. Um, so all, you'll find all public libraries involved in it. And what it's really about is promoting how to access good, reliable, accurate health information um, and really, really emphasising the role of libraries as information providers, which I think sometimes people forget, you know, they go there for their fiction books, but actually we're experts in information providing as well. Um, and it is, yeah, it's any kind of health. It is your physical health, but it is also your mental health and wider well-being. Um, and we've got a lot to offer. I mean, Veronica's just talked about the online health information um, and how we provide guidance around that. But we've also got our physical offer as well. So the books that actually sit in our libraries. Um, which uh, you know are reliable, otherwise we, we wouldn't have them in our libraries. Um, so yeah, that's really what Health Information Week is all about. And for mental health issues, I, I like to go to the MIND website, which has uh, information on all mental health related things. Is that something that you would approve of and give your seal of approval to? Yes, absolutely. And I, I'm fairly certain that MIND is one of the organisations that has the PIF tick, it's known as the PIF tick, um, meaning that it has been um, given the quality mark uh, for the for UK based information. And in fact, what um, Alexandra and I have been working on for Health Information Week <clears throat> is providing, uh, creating and providing some videos, uh, some video presentations, which we are going to release through the library's YouTube channel next week, which uh, anyone can watch which will take them through ways of looking for good quality health information. Um, you mentioned libraries and um, how's that gone for, during Covid and as we're coming out of Covid is it okay to visit our library? Are books easily accessible? Uh, and uh, yes that's the first question. Um, yeah absolutely so we take safety really seriously 
Um, and we have now uh, reopened our libraries with extra measures in place to make sure that it is a safe place for anybody to visit. So you can visit your library in person um, and pick up books just as you usually would. Um, we have limits to how many people can be in the library and they're well ventilated um, and the books go into quarantine so you don't have to worry about that type of thing. Um, but at the same time, um, if you would rather not come into the library, we have a few other offers. So you can request for books online via our website, which is libraryswest.org. And um, so you can just request for books in and then just come and pick them up and then you don't have to spend much time in the library. Um, or alternatively, we have a really good, good selection of ebooks, which are free. So again, if you go to our website, to so either the Libraries West website or um, the Somerset Libraries website is somerset.gov.uk slash libraries, you can find guidance on how to access our e-books and our e-audio books. And those include loads and loads of free um, health books, including um, books from the National Reading Well Scheme, which are recommended by professionals. So yeah, lots of different ways you can access them. Thank you. That's really helpful. Veronica, you mentioned that um, the PIF uh, is for US and UK. Are there any issues there? Obviously, each country has its own slight nuance of, of health information. Oh, sorry. I think uh, what I said is a PIF is the UK based um, code and then the on code is the US based. So, so I'm, I may have slightly mis-explained that. So I think we would tend in the UK to look for things with the PIF code, with the PIF tick on them. However, looking through the criteria that each of these organisations place on their health information, I think they're, they're fairly similar. And the only difference really is that obviously in the States, different medicines are licensed for use. So I think if you were looking for general health information, maybe general information about an illness or, or looking at symptoms um, or general health um, sort of lifestyle, healthy lifestyle advice, you could easily look at a site that had the on-code quality mark and you would find good and reliable information on there because they have very, very similar standards. It's just that if it came down to actually looking for specific medicines or treatments or perhaps protocols of treatment, you would, if you were UK based, you would tend to look for things with the PIF tick rather than the on code. Thanks, Veronica. And a question for Alex now, thinking about the physical books in libraries, um, I suppose one of the great things about any physical book is it's had to go through the fairly rigorous um, process of actually going through a publisher and finding a publisher to publish it because publishers, um, it, put it this way, it's much easier to put a strange theory on the internet than it is to actually get it published and into a public library. Or, or am I... Um, uh, am I off beam there? Am I? What What would you say to that? Um, no, you're definitely not off beam there. No, the, the books we have in the library on health topics are reliable. Um, we know that they're written by reputable authors, and like you say, they've gone through a publishing process. 
Um, but in addition to that, I also wanted to mention that we do have this Reading Well collection, which is a national initiative run by the Reading Agency. And the books in the Reading Well collection have been selected by a panel of um, health professionals and also people with lived experience of those conditions. Um, so they've brought together a selection of books in on different topics and they are now part of the Reading Well collection and we have those in all of our libraries in Somerset so that's a really good place to start if you you know we all look for books and we think but I want to read the best book on this topic well that's quite a good place to start so they have their own website which is readingwell.org where you can see all the titles um, and then you can go to your library to get them so um, the collections we have for those are there's an adult mental health one a teenage mental health one and a children's mental health one so three different ones there and then we also have a collection about long-term conditions and caring being a carer for someone with long-term conditions and also a collection around dementia that's fascinating and i've heard of reading well but it's it's one of these things i've never quite understood so what are the most popular books that people uh, take out on that what are your your best sellers not that you're selling them <laughs> um I think at the moment it's got to be the mental health ones I mean it's been people it's been growing in awareness anyway but obviously um in the last year 18 months we're really realizing that mental health is something that we've all struggled with really to some extent and um so there's a lot of really, really good titles around those which are popular and they're accessible titles as well. You know, they're not too hard to read. Um, and alongside that, this the children's mental health collection, I would really, really recommend because it puts it in such easy language because you know it's a big topic to bring up with a child, isn't it? And to explain why maybe they feel sad often or why their mum feels sad often. And all of these books um, make it a lot easier to explore those topics in a way that a child's going to understand. And Alex, would most of these titles, would these titles be very recently written or are there some good classics that you can recommend? Um, what would you say? Um, most of them are recent um, because that's, you know, it's all about keeping up to date health information. Um, and, you know, if a title has got a new edition, then we'll always buy the new edition to make sure that um, we've got the most update, up to date information in there. Thanks very much. I'm, I'm remembering that in Shard we had a library for patients um, 25, 30 years ago, and our most popular title was Look After Your Own Back and Look After Your Own Neck. But the third most popular title, we had six copies, was one called Self-Esteem by Gail Lindenfeld. And I don't know whether that's one that's still in yours. Um, each copy each copy lent up to 60 times. So we had 300 odd lens over about five or six years, which was really interesting um, that people were prepared to dip into a topic such as self-esteem in book form, whereas it's not something you'd necessarily raise in conversation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that, yeah, that is the advantage of, um, of reading about it. And I'd also add on that actually, that um, although a few of quite a few of the titles, I suppose, sort of medical in their approach. We've also got more light-hearted ones. So, um, for example, we've got a few of Ruby Wax's books around mindfulness in there, which take a more light-hearted approach. Um, we've also got the Black Dog series by Matthew Johnstone, which is um, a graphic novel essentially. So, kind of explores it through images rather than 
texts. So yeah, there's a few different approaches. They're a superb series, those Black Dot ones. Um, a lot of us have recommended them to, to people who are struggling with, with depression and sadnesses. Yeah, because I think what's sometimes forgotten is that if you are experiencing depression, sometimes reading isn't the easiest thing to do. Um, and, you know, concentrating for more than five minutes can be really, really difficult. And that's OK. And that's what's good about some of these books. So, yeah, those ones are just images. Some of the other ones we've just are just short introductions. So, you know, they're literally 50 pages at most. You mentioned children's uh, books. And I know a lot of parents are very anxious about raising mental health issues with their children. They're afraid that they'll sow seeds, particularly if there's any self-harm or anything like that. Would either of you be able to reassure us from feedback you've had that these books are helpful to children? Um, yeah, I certainly can. We've had um, teachers come in and see our displays and give some really, really positive feedback and say how overdue these are really that it's a topic that they're having to explore a lot in their classrooms and that these books are really needed to support teachers and parents. I was just going to say and I would completely back that up because before I came to work at Musgrove I worked in a school library and I think the quality of books that are being produced for children now is absolutely outstanding and I think the, the sort of the research and the thought that goes into these books and they are pitched at exactly the right level you know there are picture books for children in the sort of earliest part of the school and stories with a lot of illustration and sometimes sort of cartoony style um, graphics for the sort of middle grade readers they just they really help to prompt conversations and they don't you know they're not sort of hard hitting or scary they just start those very gentle conversations with children that um, just help them relieve or release some of their anxieties really that's so good to hear thank you very much um a question that comes up sometimes thinking about um, celebrities starting podcasts and i'm not actually thinking about peter and myself here but uh, <laughs> often around around <laughs> around mental health and well-being that may not be fully rigorous or evidence-based is is that a trend that you might see mirrored in book form because sometimes celebrities can be given publishing deals based on their profiles and without mentioning any names are, are there any are you do you find yourself a little circumspect occasionally you think well we'll maybe we'll leave that till next year before uh, uh, seeing where the market goes or what the authenticity of material is to, to an extent, yes. Um, and we, we, we are also led by what's popular within a public library. So if we know a book is popular, then we are going to buy it. And I think it's sometimes important to remember that the approach that that person takes can be more relatable for some people. So I'm just thinking like somebody like Russell Brand, for example, who's written some really great books around addiction might not be everybody's cup of tea but for a certain person he writes in exactly the kind of way that they can relate to um but i guess i would just also come back to that's the benefit of the reading well collection is that they're only going to be in there if a medical professional has said yes what they are writing is good it's reliable and i would back it up so 
I mean, in the Reading World collection, I guess the two big names we've got are Ruby Wax. She's a big celebrity in there, but she's got a qualification from Oxford University around mindfulness. Um, and also Matt Haig, who kind of crosses that um, line between being an author and also writing about mental health. And again, what he says, there's a lot of quality stuff in there. So can I ask you, what are your favourite books? I'll, I'll go first. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, I picked out a couple of books I just thought were really relevant at the moment, which I read this year, um, which were around sleep. I don't think I'm on my own in having struggled with sleep problems in the last 18 months. Um, and there's two books I'd really recommend. Um, one is in the Reading Well um, collection, and that's called The Sleep Book by Dr. Guy Meadows. And then the second book isn't in the collection, but I would still really recommend it, which is Fast Asleep by Dr. Michael Mosley, who you might know from TV. Um, and um, they're not aimed at anybody who has severe insomnia, but if you are just experiencing poor sleep, kind of especially if it's related to particular situations, both books um, provide some really, really helpful guidance around some of the things that you can do to improve it, um, some of the reasons why we experience poor sleep, um, and write about it in a really interesting way, which is sort of quite enlightening and causes you to go away and think, okay, well, what changes can I make in my whole life to um, to improve my sleep? And actually, how can that then improve my overall health if I have better sleep? I hope they're not so fascinating that you're still reading them at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, it was also a bit of a frustrating read because I have a toddler, so some of my sleep problems are completely out of my control. Um, but I would recommend them. <laughs> and Veronica, yourself? Um Yes, well, I, I'm going to recommend a book that um, I've been reading recently, um, which I just think is a fantastic piece of public health information because it's written in such an accessible way. Uh, and I think so many people could benefit from reading this book. It's called The Book About Getting Older. And then in brackets for people who don't want to talk about it. And it's actually been written by a consultant geriatrician at the hospital, Dr. Lucy Pollock. And it's based on 30 years of experience as a geriatrician. As I say, it's it's just such a wonderful book that it's written in the form of lots of stories, which are obviously sort of combined experiences from many, many patients. They're, they're, they're not actually actually individual characters, although as you read them, you, you can just picture these people because it's just written so beautifully. But as I say, there's so much information in here that's so valuable. I wish it had been written 20 years ago when I had a parent going through dementia because I would have loved to have had this book beside me then. But it's it's a book that I'm very passionate about recommending to everybody because I just think it's so valuable. Well, that's great to hear, Dr. Lucy Pollock. I remember working with her at, in Child Hospital many, many years ago, and she's uh, uh, we're very lucky in Somerset with all of our doctors, and she gives a very sensible, wise um, um, advice on many things to us doctors. And it's great to hear that she's actually published a book as well. 
Peter, any recommendations from yourself? Well, I think the one that sticks in my mind, and I've, I've read a lot over the years, is one that was uh, published many, many years ago now, uh, I'm Okay, You're Okay, which is maybe not exactly about mental health, but it, it's a, a guide to transactional analysis and how that can help us to understand relationships, uh, and also about assertiveness and about wiping the tapes that we, we uh, learn as children. And, and it's American, uh, and the American spelling I find irritating, but the message behind it is so clear. It's something that I, I find that I refer to mentally almost daily. What about you, Andrew? I know you've, you've written books as well as reading them. So uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. Are you allowed to plug your own book? I guess you are. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. I think you've written <laughs> books as well. Um, health and self-care for health professionals is available free on the web and we'll, we'll put the, uh, uh, the website in the uh, um, programme notes. But that's, that's written for everybody. Um, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's The Stress Solution, he's a GP in the Midlands, is a very interesting read talking about um, the stress in a very accessible uh, and easy way. Um, and I do like the way uh, he writes and records. Um, following on from I'm OK, You're OK, I do remember Games People Play by Eric Byrne, but it, it's quite a tough read. It's, it's really interesting stuff, but it's, I, I'm not sure it should be your first read on mental health issues at all. No, agreed, agreed. It, it's got some interesting ideas, though. It's uh, had a long life. The, the other thing you were um, mentioning about... Um, uh, books on, as we get old. There are some very good ones on dementia. Uh, there's, there's one called uh, Finding the Light in Dementia, which is actually self-published. And, and that's a, a really good self-help guide uh, because it can be a very lonely thing being a carer for somebody with dementia or having early dementia yourself. So I'm sure you've got others, Alex and Veronica, in your collection, have you? Um, yeah, we do. Yeah. So we've got the Reading Well Dementia Collection and we've actually got an extent extended Somerset specific one as well um, so you can find details of that on our on our library website yeah we we, we certainly have a, a quite a large dementia collection in the hospital library but they're probably more geared towards um, clinicians than to the general public so uh, I think the the public library's collection is probably better for people who might be listening to the podcast so I have a question as we move towards the end. Do people read enough? And by read, I mean reading books and longer articles or like myself with my grasshopper mind. Sometimes my wife says to me, um, do we have we changed because of our reading habits on the Internet to just being able to concentrate for very short periods of time and only on the on the headlines? As two professionals, what would you advise and what would you say to that? Um, I think there's, yeah, an element of truth to what you're saying. And I think it's particularly the case with uh, younger people um, where it's what they're used to more, especially with social media. Um, but, you know, one of the positive outcomes of these last few lockdowns is that people have been reading more. And I think uh, it's been a real reminder of how enjoyable reading is, um, especially reading novels. I mean, just reading for enjoyment has a really, really good impact on our mental health. Um, so I think it has been a reminder for people to go back and, you know, and read a book. And there's been some interesting studies that have shown that reading has a really 
big impact on reducing stress and anxiety. So for people who struggle uh, to read books uh, for whatever reason, might a suite of, oh, I don't know, mental health and well-being podcasts yeah. be a suitable <laughs> alternative? I, I think podcasting, uh, sorry, sorry to talk over you, but I think podcasting is incredibly valuable. And, and I also think the rise of audiobooks um, has has been very valuable to people through throughout lockdown because <clears throat> whilst I think a lot of people have rediscovered reading, um, you know, there are a lot of people who for whatever reason, maybe it's maybe it's dyslexia or, or something else, really, you know, want to access fiction or nonfiction. And now there's such a vast wealth of, of great literature available on on audiobooks that I think that's hugely beneficial for people as well. I'm sure it has just as much positive impact on mental well-being as, um, as actually reading a physical book. And that brings us nicely to an end as we end this episode of the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. Thank you, everyone, very much indeed for, for listening today. Thank you so much, Alex and Veronica, for kindly joining us uh, when it, with Health Information Week coming up and telling us all about this topic, Trusted Health Information. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.